Chapter Eleven of Riolaro, the Archipelago of Exiles by Godfrey Swevin. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Bureau of Fame. I was evidently as far astray on this point as I had been on the employment of convicts in the church and when the full significance of the functions of state had been laid before me i had to acknowledge that there was much in their prejudice in favour of the enslavement of genius and talent the most capricious of human things as soon as the organisation of fame became a function of government it was an essential that national genius and talent the arbiters of fame should be robbed of their caprice and yoked to the will of a single responsible man what would be the use of spreading one rumour if the press and the church which could creep into the very heart of the nation were able to contradict it or render it fangless what would all other means avail for planting a reputation if the reasoning imaginative and rhetorical ability of the nation were not bound to water and foster it it seemed to them as natural as breathing that the literary and oratorical power of the nation should be fenced in to the service of the nation and no one ever thought of complaining that it was entrapped as early in life as possible into lifelong slavery to the state where would the reputations of all them be if this were not done they would be as safe as the lives of their children with a jungle of wild beasts let loose amongst them who could control these irresponsible madmen we call geniuses if it were not the representative of the force of the nation the state trained from youth by the strong hand they might be of great service in moulding the national future but if left from the first to follow their own caprice nothing could result but the wildest confusion of principles and beliefs and the sacrifice of the reputation of every average citizen to their unshakable thirst for fame there was indeed no alternative left for any self-respecting community but the enslavement of all the capricious power of imagination born in its midst they might train it to do their behest and serve their destiny if left uncaged they would have to do its behest and serve its destiny the amalgamation of the bureau of fame with the department of public worship and public opinion was a policy of self-preservation the church made ready the soil the press sowed the seed and the bureau watered and weeded and reaped it would have been a national folly to allow any disagreement or collision amongst these processes better almost to have left the national genius to its old internecine conflict now the bureau of fame was the pivot of the government and it was the greatest ambition of an alophanian to rise to its administration its minister for the time being was an arbiter of all for which the ablest men lived he could make or mar careers he could raise whom he would to immortality or damn him to everlasting execration or what was worse oblivion he was far more powerful than any pope and any monarch combined could be it was indeed the chance of heaven or hell he could deal out there was of course a price list for various kinds and periods of reputation 
and a citizen with a large fortune could buy what was for human life immortality but the chief business of the office was political to enforce the privileges and enhance the fame of the marble citizens and especially of those in power a great noble a child of the monarch or one whom the court and the minister delighted to honour if the new protege of fame was a commoner the first proceeding of the bureau was to confer on him one of the noble titles which it had within its prerogative for it was the guardian and creator of all orders and titles next it set one or more of its most imaginative criminals to invent an ancestry for him and a life history a few well-known facts and dates were supplied as the skeleton but round the skeleton grew a living form that no one would have recognized who knew the original so romantic so striking so sublime did it become into every historical event a progenitor was thrust and a large share was assigned to him marvellous incidents were interwoven with historical facts and the new name introduced as the centre of them back to the heroes the family story went until it was lost in the midst of the origin of all things there was not a link left broken or weak not an opening left for destructive criticism for the most hypercritical of the journalistic criminals were let loose upon the result of the heraldic fictionists work they found every weak spot and tore the art to pieces with this analysis and criticism attached to it it was returned to the original authors for repairs again and again it went through the criticism factory and again and again after submitting to every test that could be thought of it returned to the hands of the regenerators having reached the final form that withstood the scepticism of the subtlest critics it was intermingled with the annals of the country and being printed in a form that could easily be read it was distributed amongst a section of the people who were unlearned yet not uninterested in the national history if they failed to find the seams of the patchwork and accepted the newly intruded portions as genuine the work was finally passed as ready for the second process of the bureau a staff of poets epic lyric and dramatic were turned on to the new episodes and being left to their individual tastes picked out one of this and another of that they each worked their theme into brilliant verse the result in one case would be a long romance fit for recitation during the nights of the dimmer half of the year in another it would be a rattling ballad or song that would when sung through the streets or villages catch the ear of the people in a third it would be a dramatic scene or complete play that could be staged either by the church or by the bands of strolling actors who perambulated the country districts in the pay of the state having thus got a brand new literature manufactured for its protege's life and ancestry the office set its staff of musicians to work on the legend and its poetry and gorgeous pieces were composed for the ecclesiastical and other orchestras and choruses upon its various themes and short catches and glees and songs were composed for the common people and their ballad singers these were sent out through the length and breadth of the island on the fingers and lips of itinerant players and singers 
and in the mechanical automata that were manufactured by the hundred to repeat any tune of a fixed number the whole country was soon jigging and singing to the popular chorus that enshrined the new name and the new deed or that by a new genealogy linked with the name and the gods or the national history and all the marble citizens and the people of the city were trying to whistle or hum or reproduce on their private tinkling instruments the more melodious passages or the orchestral or choral celebration of the new fame meantime the journals had been playing balladore with the topic and the various sections of it they introduced it in paragraphs in articles in verses in romances there was mysterious gossip about the new name and loud brazen-voiced eulogy there were subtle inquiries about its fame and as subtle answers and these were all adapted in method and tone to the two great kinds of journals for there were journals for the common people and journals for the marble city the one inculcate a due regard to the station into which a man was born and reference for all nobilities the other fitted the idiosyncrasies of high-born society describing its splendors its wit its genius its lofty origin its generosity the one was didactic the other descriptive and eulogistic the one was tedious and thorough-going the other was imaginative and sparkling and by each the topic was treated in its own peculiar way the church did its duty too it never failed to inculcate the fatalism of class and birth even when it was floating some new man into fame although he had but recently changed his class and had his ancestry manufactured each man to the station of god has given him was the watchword of its prayers and its prelections how pathetically the preachers dwelt on the fearful results of attempts to reverse the commands of nature they could point to their own cases as the ruin of ill-weaved ambition what could be a better proof of the evil of contravening the divine arrangement of classes than their own career they had tried to rise above their fellows and the place god had given them and to accomplish this had been impelled to break the laws the consequences their hearers might see with their own eyes and often the tears would roll down the orator's cheeks and the audience would weep with him as he painted the horrors of transgressing the divine order of society and appealed to them to abstain from all such transgression and to be content with the station god had assigned them yet the next part of the service would be the recitation of the mythical ancestry of some new man and of their great deeds or a dramatic representation of his heroic efforts for the state or a hymn in his honour with full choral and orchestral effects once the transgression of the divine order of the universe was accomplished it was accepted as a portion of that order however obscure the birth of the favourite however base his nature it was at once transfigured by his successful breach of the social laws of nature and when the bureau of fame adopted him as protege he was within less than a generation washed pure as snow the noblest of the noble in personality in ancestry in posterity 
all his life and character and origin were consecrated in the national consciousness and it would have been treason nay sacrilege to doubt the divine sanction or the truth of the story or to give a hint of the poor facts that had been buried in oblivion the name was interwoven with the holiest feelings of reverence the splendid fiction in song and drama in prayer and pulpit oration stirred the deepest enthusiasm of worship and wound itself into the most sacred memories and the whole process had begun and gone so impalpably so subtly that it was accomplished before any one could awaken himself to criticism and then it was past remedy it was the great act of regeneration the character and manners and morality of the man and his family might be as unclean and repulsive as before his name the true living principle of a man according to his people was raised to the level of heroes and gods was launched upon the career of immorality alas there were conditions and limits as there are to everything human the negative business of the bureau though kept in subordination still existed if any man offended the minister or his patrons or satellites then was his name first dropped quick as a falling star from the heaven of all public services and performances the literature and music and art that enshrined his deeds and the performances of his ancestry vanished no one knew how for a time vague and derogatory rumors concerning him crept through the journals they hinted at something base if not criminal and yet the hints could not be charged with any definite meaning at last there was complete and unbroken silence the man was buried better than if he were dead without tombstone or memorial i marvelled that a nation that so worshipped reputation could have allowed the concentration of this power in the hands of any man but i was assured that it was used with great wisdom and caution the negative function was rarely set to work and then in the most underground manner it was felt but never seen the bureau employed no organized band of slanderers as the company had attempted to do in fact it doubted the prudence or effectiveness of such a course continual and open-mouthed detraction of any man would probably produce the opposite effect it would make the neutral suspect some plot against him and stir their innate sympathy for the oppressed nay many would court the notoriety of organized criticism and derogation as a cheap method of keeping their names in the mouths of the nation what the bureau did in the negative way was truly negative its policy was the inculcation of complete silence and oblivion was the result a result so telling amongst the alifonians that the marble citizens almost groveled before the court and the minister of fame and even before their parasites with the common people the bureau and its power of heaven and hell had no influence to condemn to everlasting oblivion was no threat for them to raise them to immortality was no reward it was the main engine of discipline in the marble city and never was there so effective a discipline amongst the aristocracy a frown from the minister was enough to cow the boldest spirit never was nobility so meek 
so free from turbulence and rebellious self-seeking. They were willing to take whatever color the court delighted in. They changed their opinions, their manners, their principles, their morality, their life to the subtlest changes in the court and the bureau. Human chameleons, they would change their hue even from hour to hour, as the court changed. No group of beings in heaven or earth surpassed the discipline of these Aliophanians. End of chapter 11